You're listening to the Let's Talk Bible podcast, a Bible study podcast for kids and parents. We're your hosts, Will, Charlotte, and Chase, but we call him Dad. Dad'll work too. Each week, we're talking about the world of the Bible, along with interesting facts, history, and words to help you better understand what you read. The Bible doesn't have to be confusing. It actually makes a lot of sense. Sometimes you just need to talk it through. We hope our conversations help your family have some better conversations, too. Conversations are always good. We hope it helps us all know Jesus better and learn to follow him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Let's talk Bible. Well, welcome back to our conversations on the Bible. We've actually got a couple of stories we're going to be looking at today. A new chapter, Luke chapter 7. And do you remember the section we left off with, most of chapter 6? Jesus was giving a sermon. Do you remember what that sermon was called? The Sermon on the Mount? Yeah, Luke actually calls it the Sermon on the Plain, but we talked about how it's very similar to Matthew's Sermon on the Mount. That's right. So we spent a whole chapter looking at that sermon and wrapped it up. And in today's passage, we learn that Jesus is still in the region of Galilee. Do you remember any of the towns from Galilee that we've been talking about? Nazareth. Good. Nazareth was uh, one where Jesus was from. Do you remember any of the other towns? Capernaum. Great. Capernaum is where our story starts today, but we'll also learn about another town as well. So what do you say we get mom in here and we read our passage of the week? Let's go, mom. Luke chapter 7, verse 1. After Jesus had finished teaching all this to the people, he entered Capernaum. A centurion there had a slave who was highly regarded but who was sick and at the point of death. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent some Jewish elders to him, asking him to come and heal his slave. When they came to Jesus, they urged him earnestly, He is worthy to have you do this for him, because he loves our nation and even built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not presume to come to you. Instead, say the word, and my servant must be healed. For I, too, am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to the other, come, and he comes, and to my slave, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. He turned and said to the crowd that followed him, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. So when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the slave well. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went with him. As he approached the town gate, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother who was a widow, and a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion for her and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came up and touched the bier, and those who carried it stood still. He said, Young man, I say to you, get up. So the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. Fear seized them all, and they began to glorify God, saying, A great prophet has appeared among us, and God has come to help his people. This report about Jesus circulated throughout Judea and all the surrounding country. Well, thanks, Mom. Great stories. Two different stories we read about. The healing of the servant of the centurion in Capernaum, 
and the raising back to life of the widow's son who had died in Nain. So as I said, we learned, we started in Capernaum, and we also learned about another city in Galilee called Nain. Well, what do you guys have observations, questions, thoughts from our passage as we read it? In the second story about the dead boy, what is a beer? Oh, that's a good question. That's not a word we use very often. That's referring to a platform that they were carrying the coffin on. So as they were going out of the town, they were carrying the coffin with the boy on a platform, a large platform. And that platform is what's called a beer. That's actually an English word, but just not one we use very often. Uh, there's a second word in here I wonder about. Do you know what a centurion is? No. Well, we got a question from a friend this week about centurions. So I thought we'll use that as our important person, place, or thing. So let's get to a question from a friend and talk more about a centurion. It's time for our question from a friend segment, where one of our friends asks their question about the passage of scripture we're studying. Will, who do we have a question from today? Today's question comes from Opal, who is age eight. All right, let's hear it. Hi, I'm Opal. I wanted to know what a Saturn is. That's a great question. Let's talk a little bit about centurions in the ancient world. A centurion refers to a military leader, and there are probably a couple of options for who this particular centurion was. He was either a Roman centurion who was serving in the Roman military. A century was a Roman military unit, usually with 100 men. Have you ever heard uh, a century being 100 years? That's the same idea. There was historically 100 men in a Roman century, although in the time of Jesus, it may have been more like 80 men. And there was a centurion who ruled over or led that military unit. And so this centurion may have been a Roman Although at the time of our story, do you remember we talked about this before? The ruler of Galilee was one of Herod's sons, Herod Antipas, who was king over Perea and Galilee. And so it seems somewhat unlikely that there would have been Romans stationed in Capernaum, although they could have been supporting Herod Antipas. Herod Antipas ruled under the Romans. But it may have also been that Herod Antipas's army took the same structure as the Romans, and so this was a military leader within Herod Antipas's army. And it makes sense he would have been in a place like Capernaum that was right on the boundary of Antipas's kingdom and right on an important road. We've talked about how important Capernaum was before. And so what we do know is that this was a military leader, and he was certainly a Gentile military leader. He wasn't a Jew, although the story tells us that he loved the nation of Israel, and he had even helped build and fund the synagogue that was in Capernaum. So the story is interesting because we have not a Jewish believer coming to Jesus, but we have a Gentile military leader, somebody of great power, who's coming to Jesus because he has a problem. Do you remember what the problem was that the centurion had? His servant was sick. That's right. So we know about the centurion, and we learn that he has a servant who he loves who has gotten sick. So let's get into the passage and talk a little bit about what happened. Do you remember what the centurion did whenever he realized that his servant needed help? He goes to Jesus and asks him for help. He does, but he does it in an interesting way. Do you remember it says that he sent elders to go to Jesus? The centurion didn't actually go himself. Instead, he sent important representatives to go on his behalf. Now, this reminds us a little bit of a story from the Old Testament. One of the things we've talked a lot about is how 
Jesus and the New Testament writers often connect stories from the Old Testament to the New Testament. So when we think about a Gentile military leader who needs a healing from a great Jewish prophet, what story do we think of from the Old Testament? Elisha and Naaman. Uh, and that's right. The great prophet Elisha and Naaman from Second Kings. Now, in that story, if you remember what happens, Naaman himself came to meet Elisha. And he was highly offended because Elisha didn't come out to meet him, but Elisha sent messengers out. And that offended the great general because he thought he was important and that Elisha should have come to him. And Elisha told him that he would be healed of his leprosy if he went and bathed in the Jordan River. And this also offended Naaman because the Jordan River was a small river in Israel, a kind of muddy river. And Naaman said, we have much greater rivers in Syria where I'm from. Why would I come and bathe in this dirty little river in Israel? He expected a great miracle because he thought of himself as a great man. And he expected Elisha to come out and do this miracle for him because he was a great man. Now, when we think about that story, that's kind of what we might imagine is going to happen in this story. When we read about a great Gentile centurion who needs a healing for his servant. But how does this centurion act differently than Naaman? He thinks he's so great and the other man and does not care. Hmm. I think what you're describing is Naaman thought he was really important, but the way the centurion acts in this story actually looks like humility. You see that? He says to Jesus, I didn't come to you myself because I didn't think I was worthy to come to you. I don't even think you're worthy to come under my roof. I don't even think I'm worthy to have you come under my roof. He thought so highly of Jesus, and he thought so little of his own demands and requests from Jesus that he really was much more humble than Naaman was. Do you remember what Jesus says about this centurion? He's been, he was in Israel and he didn't see anyone like that. He says that in all of Israel, he had not seen faith greater than this centurion's. Now, what do you think made the centurion's faith so great? What impressed Jesus so much about how this centurion had acted? He was really humble. Yeah, he was really humble. Now, do you remember all of the other scenes we've been looking at about the crowds and the Pharisees, the way that people mobbed Jesus trying to get miracles, trying to touch him, or how the Pharisees argued with him? This centurion doesn't act like any of those people, does he? He actually shows a lot of humility. And we've seen this in some other characters. Think about the statements of humility we've seen. When Elizabeth met Jesus still in Mary's womb, she said, who am I that the Lord should come to me? Who am I? Or do you remember when Mary received the angelic message that she would give birth to Jesus? She said, I'm your servant. Let it be according to your word. Or do you remember when John the Baptist first met Jesus? He said, I'm unworthy even to untie his sandals. Or when Jesus called Peter, Peter said, depart from me. I am but a sinner. And now we get this centurion saying, I'm not even worthy to have you under my roof or to come to you with this request. Those are the people that Jesus says become his true followers. And they all share this characteristic, this quality of humility. What do you think humility means? Maybe really grateful. Okay, part of humility is being grateful. Yeah, I have a good friend who talks about or defines humility as not thinking too highly or too little of yourself of thinking realistically about who you are. In other words, what that means is, I'm not constantly down on myself thinking I'm terrible. I'm able to recognize the gifts God has given me. 
But it also means I don't think too highly of myself. I don't think I'm better than I actually am. I don't think everything is about me. I don't put myself at the center of every conversation or every moment. That's what all of these characters were able to do. They were able to recognize that God was giving them a blessing that really they didn't have any special qualities or skills to demand. Mary was just a common girl. Elizabeth, just an old woman. Peter was just a fisherman. This centurion said, I'm just a Gentile, not even really a Jew. What should I deserve from the Jewish teacher? So all of them recognized that Jesus didn't owe them anything. Jesus didn't have to do anything for them. But yet Jesus was. And so, Will, to your point, that gave them this sense of gratitude. That gratitude comes from having humility. We get a second story. Do you remember what happens in the second story? Because I think it helps us see this point even more clearly. Jesus raises the widow's son from the dead. Yes, that's right. Jesus raises a boy from the dead, and this widow is really in a terrible situation. She has no husband to support her, and her only child, which was a son who would have supported her, has now died. So she's really left completely on her own, and especially in the ancient world, that left her really vulnerable to being poor and having needs. Now, this miracle is kind of different from the other miracles. What do you think is different about this miracle from some of the miracles we've seen, even the one with the centurion? He goes and touches him. Sure. What do you think is different, though, about what makes Jesus go and touch the boy's coffin? Do you remember? Because he saw the widow mourning over it. Mm, uh, You're very close. I'm asking a hard question. This is the only miracle we've seen so far where nobody asks Jesus to act. But Jesus chooses to act on his own because it said he had great compassion for her. Now, if you read the story of the centurion and you thought maybe Jesus does this miracle because the centurion's an important military leader, when you read this story, you see Jesus doing a miracle for a woman in great need and poverty, not because she even asked for the miracle, but because Jesus looks on her and has compassion. I think that helps us better understand humility as well. We are able to have gratitude for what Jesus has done because Jesus has compassion on us when we're humble enough to recognize we need him. So I think both of these stories are really about Jesus' compassion towards us, particularly when we're humble enough to receive it. Well, I've got an important Greek word for us to learn today, and then we can get into maybe how we live this passage out in our own lives. So what do you say we learn a new word? Let's do it. Each week, we're learning a new word from the original languages of the Bible. You might not know it, but the Bible was originally written in Hebrew and Greek. And a little in Aramaic. And a little Aramaic, that's right also. Each week, we'll teach you an important word from these original languages, so you can better understand the important themes of the Bible. So, let's learn our word of the week. Okay, today's word is an important word. It's a big word in the New Testament that's used a lot, and I think it's an important one for us to learn. Do you remember what the do you remember what Jesus said impressed him about the centurion? He had great what? Faith. He had great faith, that's right. And we want to be like that. We want to have great faith, humility and faith in Jesus. So, let's learn the word faith in Greek. The word Jesus used when he said that this centurion had great faith was the word pistis. Can you say the word pistis? Pistis. Pistis. Pistis means faith. Now, what do you think faith means in the Bible? Like trusting in God? Believing? Yeah, trust and believe are both great words. Faith means that I believe or I trust. 
So what impressed Jesus about this centurion was that he believed in Jesus and trusted that Jesus was able to do that miracle even from a great distance. He need only speak the words and his servant would be healed. That's what impressed Jesus, the centurion's humility and also his faith. So for us to have faith means we trust Jesus and we believe in Jesus. And when we do that, do you remember the story, if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart, when we do that, we show ourselves to be people of great faith as well. And the Greek word for that faith is pistis. I have great pistis. Can you say pistis? Pistis. Pistis. Nice work. Well, let's get into talking a little bit more about what we take away from today's passage before we pray. All right, we've been talking about humility and faith. I'd like to know what it looks like for us to live with humility in our lives. What does it look like to have humility in your family or at school or in the life that you live? Not thinking of yourself too highly, but not thinking of yourself too lowly. That's right. Having an accurate estimate of yourself or thinking honestly about yourself. So I don't think uh, I'm better than I am, but I also am willing to recognize and accept what God has given me as well. Yep, good. Charlotte, what do you think living humbly or with humility looks like? Humbly, I think, looks like helping Yeah, so maybe humility means putting others before yourself, that you're not always worried about what you want or people doing things for you, but you're willing to help others. I think that's great. And what does it mean to live by faith, to be a person of great faith? To believe in God. To trust whatever whatever you do, not think it's going to happen. Yeah, I like both of those answers. Do you see how these two things go together? When we're humble and we realize we can't do everything on our own, and we may not deserve everything, it gives us faith to say, but Jesus has compassion, and we trust Jesus, that he's going to be faithful to us, that Jesus is going to help us, and Jesus is going to lead us. The more humility we have, the more we're able to have faith and trust in him. And that's why these stories are so important. We're learning that the people who really understand Jesus in this story, people like Zachariah and Elizabeth, or people like Mary and Joseph, or people like Peter and Levi who become disciples, or here, people like this centurion, the people who really understand Jesus are the people who have great humility, and because of that humility are able to have great faith. I think it's a good lesson for us, don't you think? Yeah. Well, what do you guys say we pray, and we will close out today's conversation? Pray with me. Well, Heavenly Father, we pray that we could be like these men and women in our story who have humility, and because of that humility, have great faith. We pray that we would have accurate understandings of who we are, that we wouldn't think too little of ourselves, but we also wouldn't think too much of ourselves, that we wouldn't put ourselves at the center of every conversation or constantly think that everything is about us and what we want, but we would be able to see what's happening around us by humility. And by that humility, we might trust our lives and our situations to you. We see in this story how you have great compassion on those who are humble. And so in our humility, we trust and have faith that you will be compassionate on us as well and lead us and guide us, that we might be like those disciples who followed you as well. Jesus, it's in your name we pray. Amen. 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 We have this little tradition in our house of offering a blessing before the kids go to school each day. 
In the book of Numbers, Aaron is given a blessing in which he puts God's name over his people. And we would like to offer you that blessing as we do each morning as well, too. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift his countenance to you and give you peace. And lots of peace to eat for lunch. Thanks for listening to the Let's Talk Bible podcast. You can find notes for today's show by going to letstalkbible.kids. There you'll find this week's scripture, family discussion questions, and the word of the week. You can also send us a message, maybe a question you have about the Bible. Parents, there's also a sermon for each of our episodes to help you dig deeper into the week's passage. We hope our conversations inspire your family for some conversations of your own. Thanks for listening.